0: Thanks so much to our ensemble and to our instrumentalists, to our parents and children and all who work to make today a very special Sunday. What a privilege it is to be able to celebrate our Lord's birth on Christmas Eve. We're going to look now at God's Word, at a portion of the Christmas story, so I'd like to ask you to please take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 26 through 35. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seats, you'll find this on page 855. As soon as we found our place, we're going to offer a word of prayer. Then we're going to consider this important text. Let's bow together now. Our Father, what a privilege to gather together on Christmas Eve and to celebrate the birth of your Son. He is our King, He is our Savior, this is His church, and we are delighted to be here and to give Him all the praise that He is due. Lord, we pray for this time now that we will spend in your word. Help us to understand the meaning of the text. Help us to receive its message into our hearts. And Lord, might we be changed by our engagement with your word this morning. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So at the heart of our city stands the Brooks Memorial Fountain. This is a beautiful Greek Revival structure, pure white and with a central colonnade modeled after the Temple of Love from Marie Antoinette's garden in Versailles. The fountain is always lit up at night with 96 different color combinations rotating on a 10-minute cycle. During the summertime, this fountain projects two tons of water every 60 seconds. Of course, during this time of year, the water is turned off and instead this fountain is graced with a manger scene. And the scene features baby Jesus in a bed of hay with an angel hovering above him. And to Jesus' right are three wise men and to his left are his parents, Mary and Joseph. And the Joseph statue pictures him with blonde hair parted to one side, looking a bit like a German businessman. And Mary has long, flowing blonde hair. And she's wearing a pristine white dress with gold trim. And she has a light blue cloak hanging off of her shoulders. None of this is particularly accurate from a historical perspective. Except for maybe one small detail. If you look closely at the Joseph figure, you'll notice that his hands are folded in prayer. And he is directing his prayers to the baby Jesus. And if you look at Mary, you'll notice that her arms are spread out wide as if to draw attention to Jesus. And they're doing this because they understand that this Jesus was no ordinary baby. They understood that he was the Messiah and the Son of God. And friends, that that little detail in our manger scene downtown is absolutely accurate. Because you see, the scriptures teach us that Mary and Joseph knew exactly who Jesus was before he was even born. In fact, Mary knew who he was before he was even conceived. And today we are in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 35. This text records the moment when Mary learned that she had been chosen to bring Christ into the world. We're going to see how every detail of Jesus' identity was explained to her right there in the very beginning with that announcement. And we're going to explore that announcement together, and then we're going to consider the implications of it all for us today. And so we begin here in verses 26 and 27. Here our text simply gives us the background information for this great announcement. And it begins with the timing of the announcement. It says it came in the sixth month. The sixth month, that is to say, in the sixth month of the pregnancy of Mary's cousin, Elizabeth. And that story in itself is a miracle, you see... Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, were quite elderly at this time, and they had never been able to conceive a child. But one day, while Zechariah was ministering in the temple, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and explained to Zechariah that he and his wife were to become the parents of a prophet. This would be the first prophet to appear on the scene in Israel in about 400 years. And the angel explained that this prophet would have a really important job. His job was to prepare God's people for the arrival of the Messiah. He was the forerunner. And his name would be John the Baptist. And John the Baptist would fulfill the last prophecy of the Old Testament scriptures. As the Old Testament came to a close, God promised that Messiah would come and that just before he came there would be this forerunner to prepare people for his arrival. John the Baptist would fulfill that, and Elizabeth would be the one to bear that child. Well, that was six months ago, and now the announcement is coming that the Messiah himself is going to be conceived. And we see here not only the timing of the announcement, but the messenger. It says it came through the angel Gabriel now this just speaks to the importance of the message because a, a, the angel Gabriel was a very special messenger of God normally he stood in God's presence basking in God's glory but whenever God had something really important to declare to the world God would send Gabriel and so we find Gabriel Several times in the Old Testament scriptures, delivering important messages to God's people. And here he is again. This will be the most important message he has ever delivered. Because he's going to announce the coming of the Messiah himself. Our text also gives us the location for the announcement. It says, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now here's where the story takes a very interesting turn. Because you see, the arrival of Messiah was unquestionably the most important event in world history up to that point. And Gabriel was the most important messenger to deliver that message. This is a really big deal what's about to happen. But where is the announcement going to be made? It's going to be made in this little backwater village called Nazareth, a nothing town. Surely a message this important should go to a major city. But that's not how it's going to be. In fact, some of you may recall the conversation between Philip and Nathanael in John chapter 1. There Philip finds Nathanael and says to him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote. He says, and it's Jesus of Nazareth. And then Nathanael replies, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? See, Nazareth was a nothing town. But this is where God was going to meet with the parents that he had chosen. And this is where he was going to announce The arrival of the Messiah himself. In fact, we see a little more about these uh, these parents in verse 27. It says the announcement would come to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So of all the places where this announcement could have been given, he chooses the little town of Nazareth. And of all of the people that he could have chosen to give the announcement and to be the parents of Messiah, he chooses this humble little couple called Mary and Joseph. Now, in terms of their age, they were both likely teenagers. Maybe Joseph was a little older than Mary, but both teenagers Though in this culture, they were considered legally adults. And we see their status. It says they were betrothed to one another. Betrothal is kind of like our engagement period, but but a little more intense. This was a year-long period in which the couple was legally joined together, but they'd not yet had their wedding ceremony, and they'd not yet consummated their relationship. So they were just in in this legal period. And in terms of their family lives, the text says that Joseph was a descendant of King David. Now, King David was the greatest of all Israel's kings, but he lived a thousand years before Joseph. Joseph was not considered royalty by anybody. In fact, the scriptures say that he was just a humble carpenter. And Mary? Well, it says that Mary was a virgin, which just reinforces again that she was a very young woman also emphasizes that Joseph and Mary were were a very godly godly couple because they were betrothed but not yet married. They not yet had the the marriage ceremony, and so they've not yet consummated this union. And friends, this is the couple that God chose to raise the Messiah. This is the young woman that God chose to bear the Messiah which is a wonderful reaffirmation to us that God cares nothing. He cares nothing about money or power or fame or prestige or any of the other things that we care about in this broken world of ours. No, God doesn't care about any of that. God cares only about a person's heart. Friend, you don't have to be rich or powerful to be used in great ways by God. All you have to be is humble and faithful. And God can use you to turn the world upside down. Look at how he used this humble couple from Nazareth, Joseph and Mary, bringing the Messiah into the world. Well, friends, these are the circumstances surrounding the announcement of Messiah. But now we turn to the announcement proper. You see, the announcement begins with a greeting. That's verse 28. It says the angel came to Mary, and he said to her, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. What a wonderful beginning to a wonderful announcement. And you know, much has been made of this greeting over the years, especially the words, greetings, O favored one. You know, in the Roman Catholic tradition, this phrase is used as part of the justification for saying that Mary herself was sinless. And it's partly used to justify prayers to Mary and the veneration of Mary, making statues and bowing before Mary. You might be familiar with the beginning words of that, that Catholic prayer, Hail Mary, full of grace. That comes from this statement, Mary, O favored one. But I trust... You understand that that is not at all, that is not all, at all what is being communicated here. What the angel Gabriel is saying, rather, is this. I'm quoting the commentator Joel Green. He says, God was bestowing his favor on one who had no claim to worthy status, he was raising her up from a position of lowliness and choosing her to have a central role in salvation history. This is what the angel meant when he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. He's saying, Greetings, you, you who have been chosen by God, sheerly out of His grace, been chosen by God to fulfill a very, very special task, to be the one who will bear the Messiah She was favored, my friends, because soon this teenaged virgin bride from a backwater village would become the most celebrated woman in all of human history. And it was all of God's grace that this would be the case. And friends, this is what God delights to do. He's a God who resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He's a God who loves to bestow His grace on the lowly. And that's what he was doing here. Taking the lowliest of them all and exalting them to the highest position. Then we come to verse 29. We see Mary's response to this greeting. It says she was greatly troubled at the saying. And tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And you know, Mary's confusion is understandable here. Nothing in her life had prepared her to meet an angel of God. Certainly nothing had prepared her to hear a message like this, that that God was bestowing favor on her, that he had a special job for her. She was not ready for this. And so verse 30, the angel goes on. He says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God you have found favor with God. And the word translated favor here is the Greek word charis. It's where we get our word grace from. So the angel was saying to her, don't be scared, Mary. God knows your fallen state. But in his grace, he has also chosen you for a task. Don't be scared. Be excited at what you're going to hear. And now, verses 31 and following, the angel explains the task that God had chosen her for. He says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, every single word in that announcement is important. So let's go through them all together. He begins behold behold that means listen up Mary listen up because what you're about to hear from me is going to sound really unbelievable to you but it's all true so you've got to listen to every word and then he says this Mary you will conceive in your womb not you and Joseph just you you're gonna conceive in your womb A new human life is about to take hold inside of you. And you will give birth to that little life, Mary. And it will be a son. And, Mary, you must name that son Jesus. Now, Jesus derives from the Hebrew word Yeshua, which means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. Matthew chapter 1 adds a critical detail at this point. According to Matthew, when the angel came to announce Jesus to his father, Joseph, the angel said this, quote, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Think of that. You will name this child the Lord saves. Why? Because he will save His people from their sins. The angel was affirming the full deity of this child. He would be born of a woman, but also God Himself. Matthew's account has this additional thought. It says, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And here's the prophecy. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, friends, this little boy soon to appear in Mary's womb would be none other than God himself robed in human flesh. God come to earth to rescue his people from their sins. That's who Jesus was going to be. Now the angel goes on, verse 32, it says... And he will be great. He will be great. Meaning he will be superlative in every way. In holiness, in wisdom, in authority, in kindness, in grace, in every single conceivable way. He will be the greatest. And then he adds, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Isn't this interesting? So he will be God... But he will also be son of God. He will be the most high, but also son of the most high. Friends, here we find the mystery of the Trinity. You understand that there is only one living and true God. One infinite and perfect spirit in whom all things have their source, support, and end. And yet in the one being of God there subsists three persons. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The Father is of none. The Son is eternally begotten of his Father. The Spirit eternally proceeds from Father and Son, but one God with three persons. And this child who would soon appear in Mary's womb, he would be God the Son, fully divine, second member of the Trinity. And also robed in human flesh. And then the angel continues. He says, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. A promise of universal kingship. This echoes the prophecy of Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, which says, Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So, friends, this little child about to arrive in Mary's womb would be the fulfillment of all the hopes of all the godly from the Garden of Eden onward. The hopes that God would come and fix what is wrong with this broken world. That God would come, eliminate the sin problem, establish a kingdom of righteousness, Well, the arrival of Jesus would mark the beginning of the fulfillment of it all. You know, friends, one of my favorite aspects of the Christmas story is just how unexpected it all is. Humble Mary is exalted to the status of the most honorable of all women. Meanwhile, the exalted Son of God is choosing to humble himself To be born in a manger to lowly parents and to live a life of humiliation, a life in which he would be scorned and mistreated and eventually tortured and killed. In the Christmas story, we see the lowly exalted and the exalted choosing to be low. Friend, isn't that just the kind of God that we have? A God of the unexpected. And a God that we thank, a God that we thank for his unexpected mercies. Well, now continuing the story. Mary continues to be very confused to look at verse 34. It says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Now, this question indicates that Mary understood exactly what the angel had been saying to her. She understands that he's saying she is about to become pregnant, but not through the normal course. And she believes the angel. Her question is a believing question, but she's asking, Okay, angel, but how exactly does this happen? How how does a virgin conceive In verse 35, the angel reveals to all of us a profound theological mystery. Look what he says. The angel said to her, here's how it'll happen. The Holy Spirit, so the third person of the triune Godhead. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Now notice those two phrases at the beginning there. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and he will overshadow you. Now this is familiar language in the Bible, and in every case that it's used, it describes a special manifestation of God's powerful presence. For example... Back in the beginning of our Bibles, in Exodus chapter 40, this exact same language is used when God fills the Jewish tabernacle with his glory. It says he came upon the tabernacle and blessed it with his presence. And then in Numbers chapter 9, a couple of books later, the same language appears again. God comes upon the tabernacle. He fills it with his glory. And then much later in our Bibles, in Isaiah chapter 32, this language describes the manner in which God's Spirit would bring spiritual renewal to the whole created order. It says God's Spirit will come upon the world, and He will remake the world on principles of righteousness. And then in Acts chapters 1 and 2, this language describes the Spirit's descent on the apostles on the day of Pentecost. It says... The Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and suddenly they could speak in tongues and the New Testament church was born. So this language of God's Spirit coming upon a person or a place, it speaks of a special, powerful working of God, a supernatural working of God on a person to empower them for a task or on a place to to fill it with His glory. Here the angel was explaining that the Spirit of God was going to come upon the Virgin Mary in such a way that a new life was going to take hold inside of her womb. And that child would be holy just like God because he would be God and the Son of God. Friends, this is the mystery of the hypostatic union. That through the power of God, a life would be implanted in Mary's womb, which would possess two complete natures. This one life, it would be divine, son of God. It would be human, son of man. Two natures in the one life, yet without the natures being confounded or the person being divided, this would be a God-man. And friends, this is precisely what would qualify Jesus to be our Savior. It's what would qualify Him to go to the cross and offer a once and for all sacrifice for our sins. Being God and man, He alone could could make an atonement of all sufficient value and one that could act as a substitute for us. His death for our deaths. No, friends, there's a popular song played this time of year called Mary, Did You Know? I think we played it as part of our prelude a couple of Sundays ago. The song walks through a number of scenes from Jesus' life and it poses the question Mary, did you know? Did you know that Jesus was going to be like this? It says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy would come to make you new? That this child you delivered would soon deliver you? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm the storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy Has walked where angels trod? That when you kiss your little baby, you are kissing the face of God? Mary, did you know? Well, friends, the answer to every last one of those questions is yes. Absolutely yes. Mary knew. Mary knew it all. Because Mary knew the Old Testament scriptures and she knew everything that those scriptures had to say about Messiah and what he would be like when he came. And Mary also listened carefully to the angel Gabriel as he delivered the announcement, and Mary believed the angel's message. And so, yes, Mary knew it all. She knew that her baby boy would grow up and live a perfect, sinless life, something that none of us has ever done and never will do. She knew that her baby would grow up to be a miracle worker, never using his power to serve himself, but to serve others, to bring sight to the blind, to help the lame, to walk again, to open the hearts of the hardened. She knew even that her son would die for sinners because the scriptures had affirmed this too. She knew that his life would end on a cruel cross just 30 or so years into that future. But she also knew that her son would rise again in victory, proving his power over death and sin and hell and rising to be Lord of all. And she knew that she needed him to be her Savior. And she knew the world needed him to save them too. Yes, Mary knew all of these things. But the more pressing question today, my friends, is this one. Do you know Jesus? Do you know who Jesus is? Do you believe in him? Do you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin through the supernatural working of the Spirit of God? Do you believe that he is both the Son of God, and the Son of Man? That he has these two natures bound up together in his one person? Do you believe that God sent him into the world because he loves you, because you needed someone to take away your sin penalty? Do you believe that Jesus lived a holy, sinless life? Do you believe that he offered himself on that cross as an all-sufficient sacrifice for you? Do you believe the promise of Romans chapter 10, verse 13, which says that everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? Meaning their sins will be forgiven. Their alienation from God will be over. And now they will be his child, forgiven and restored. Do you believe these things about Jesus? If you say, I believe them, then will you live in light of these truths? Will you live as if Jesus is Lord? Will you live as if he is your king? Will you live as if He is your Savior from sin, not just a Savior of sins? Will you try to live in holiness as Jesus lived? And friend, if you've not yet received Christ, In repentant faith, will you receive him today? He stands before you now as a risen, exalted king, sitting at the right hand of his Father, waiting for the day when he will come back to judge the living and the dead. But today, he offers all a full pardon. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is a day of grace. Will you receive him For what he already is, your Lord. And will you receive him as your Savior too? Will you go on record today as becoming one of his disciples? If you want to, it's very simple. You just have to talk to God and tell him. Tell God that you believe in his Son. Tell him that you believe everything the scriptures say about you, about your need for him as a Savior. Confess your sins to God. Ask for his pardon. Plead his mercy. Tell him you want Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And after you've done that, make sure you talk to somebody in this church because we want to know. We want to know that you have made that decision today. And we want to show you the next steps in your spiritual growth. My friends, there will be no better way to celebrate Christmas this year than to come to a right relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. So will you not consider doing that today? Will you not catch me afterwards and tell me what you want to do? Well, let's bow together in prayer now. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your son. We thank you for the unexpected details of the Christmas story how you took the the lowest of the low, exalted her to a place of highest honor because of your grace, not because of any inherent worth in her, but then also how you took your exalted son and allowed him to come and to dwell among the lowly. You allowed the exalted to be lowered, to robe his glory behind human flesh, so that he might offer himself as a substitute for us. Lord, we thank you for the wonder of Christmas. And help us, Lord, to carry forward this weekend and into the new year, knowing and loving and desiring to follow after your Son. And Lord, if there are some here who have not yet embraced your Son in saving faith, would you please do that supernatural work inside of them? Would you come upon them in power? Soften their heart. Make make their hearts receptive to the message that the angel declared on that morning so long ago. Help them, Lord, to be able and willing to receive your Son in faith. Help them to declare it to others so that we can celebrate their life with them. And Lord, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.